You can support this podcast on patreon.com forward slash firstpawmedia. Here's to the adventure-seeking dog mushers out there. The hundreds of you who stand on the runners dreaming and thinking about the Northern Lights. Of course, there is something else you can do if you've got something to say. Start a podcast with First Paw Media and harness your creative side. Maybe even earn enough money. Enough money to tell yourself, hey, I'm not just a dog musher. I'm a rover. I'm a wanderer. I'm a voyager. I'm an explorer. Visit firstpaw.media. Mush on over today. Radio Free Palmer 89.5 KVRF presents Mushing Radio, hosted by Robert Forto. Mushing Radio is about dog-powered sports, living in the Great White North, and mushing. Visit our website at mushingradio.com. Here is your host, Robert Forto. Hello and welcome everybody. This is Robert and I am joined by my co-host Tony and we are doing a race recap of the Junior Iditarod. It just finished up this weekend and it was a very eventful race and we're going to jump right into that. Tony, how's it going tonight and what do you know about the Junior Iditarod? (laughs) going really well i i've enjoyed our mini break before we get into junior iditarod talk and then of course uh, our iditarod coverage and we're buried in snow down here on the kenai peninsula so i'm i'm just excited to be in the house where it's warm not snowy talking about sled dogs yeah i think we've got at least another six or eight inches here uh today we took the snow machines out this afternoon and uh yeah it is packed it's going to be an interesting restart uh, up here in willow because my goodness i think we have a (laughs) record-breaking snow year i wonder how it is and this goes right into our junior i did a rod coverage i wonder how it is out towards uh, yetna and squintna and all that do you have you heard Mm -hmm. i haven't heard any new trail reports i'm Tempted to message Mark Nordman since he's now a friend of mine on Facebook. His choice, he asked to be friends. I didn't bother him about it just to see what he says about the trail. But we'll find out in a couple of days when uh, they have their mushers meeting and we hear all the juicy details afterwards. Yes, and it is what they call Iditarod Week, I guess, here in uh, Alaska. And it's interesting because... Uh, as we talk about Junior Iditarod, there was also the Ferrandi, uh, I guess it's called the uh, North American Championship or something like that. That was a pretty eventful race. I know we don't cover a lot of sprint races here on this feed, but uh, yeah, what a good race that was. And I think that we should talk a little bit about the accident that, I, that occurred. Was that yesterday or the day before with one of the Rondi mushers? Yeah, that was yesterday morning. Um, It was Frank Haberman's team. He lives uh, down near Clam Gulch, so in my neck of the woods. He's one of the few peninsula mushers that still actually lives on the peninsula. Um, And they were returning from a a weekend at Rondi, and somehow the trailer either got loose. I I haven't really figured out what the actual story is. We haven't heard from the musher himself um but the dog trailer somehow came loose or turned over fell apart 
and uh, the dogs got loose. All but one, as far as I know, has been recovered. Donna I ha is the dog's name of, that was still missing as of last night. I haven't seen any reports suggesting that she's been found, though when I was talking with uh, Danny Stevie earlier today, he said that he had read somewhere, but he couldn't find it that it was. So uh, I haven't been able to confirm one way or the other, but all the dogs made it okay as far as we know, other than uh, the one that went missing. There was a dog that managed to go across the highway, down across the railroad tracks, and went out onto the sea ice, but he, that dog was recovered, was not injured, was a-okay, just shaken up because of the experience. Um, I do know that Frank is back at home, so I don't know if that means that the dog has been found or if they've got people searching in the area while he had to get back home to take care of dogs and, and work and that sort of thing. And that road there, it, it's a highway. It's a very busy highway, especially mm -hmm. in, in the winter and in the, excuse me, in the summer. But in the winter, it can be pretty treacherous through there, can't it? It can, yeah. The Seward Highway is um, a dust trap most any time of the year. Um, a lot of accidents happen. This sounds like it was a one-vehicle accident. Uh, did not seem to be like, you know, a head-on collision or anything like that, which is normally what closes the highway. Um, so they were very, very fortunate, I think, overall. Um, it's, it's always scary. One year when we were driving up to Iditarod, we were stuck in traffic because it was freezing rain that year. Um, and so it was just a skating rink on the Seward Highway, and we were at a standstill for hours. And funnily enough, we look back while we're sitting there waiting to go, and the CV uh, dog truck was behind us. So we both, my dad and I both skated uh, down the street a little bit and, and chatted with them while we waited for the, uh, the accident to clear. So not something you see every day is a dog truck upended um, and dogs running loose on the highway, but it's not uncommon to see an accident on the side of the road. And one last question about uh, that accident. Uh, that is the only mm -hmm. way in and way out for you guys that live down there on the peninsula uh, here in South Central Alaska. Uh, also with that, um, with the, the accident there on the highway, do you know where it was in, in relation to miles or, or landmarks? Was it closer to Girdwood or Anchorage or closer towards the turnoff or what? Yeah, it was between Anchorage and Girdwood. It's a, I think the, um, post that kind of broke the news on one of the we have, we have little groups on Facebook that is specific for each highway, so we know the road conditions at any given time. Uh, Alaskans, we, we like our little groups. But um, I believe they said it was mile 105, and I'm not exactly sure where that is. I'm not good with mile markers. I do better with landmarks. Um, but I assume that's like right in those uh, winding um, right there near Bird Creek, I'm assuming, or, or McHugh Creek, one of the two places. I'm not completely sure, though. Well, let's hope that the dog is found if it hasn't been already and, and the safe return mm -hmm. back to its musher. So let's jump over okay. to the Junior Iditarod. It was held last weekend for folks that are 
Uh, fans of the show, you probably listened to our episode with Barbara Reddington, and a lot of people enjoyed that one. We got a lot of comments back and forth on social media. I got a bunch of messages on Facebook uh, thanking me for having Barb on. I'm surprised that we never had her on before, but it's always good to to hear what she has to say, because as they say, or at least as you say, Barb knows everything about <laughs> about Iditarod. So I think that uh, she probably gave quite a bit of an education to a lot of folks, especially about that race in particular. So before we talk about the couple of big stories, and there was a, a, a rather big story in this one, can you tell us about the finishers and, and that sort of thing? Sure. So 16 teams started um, there on Kinnick Lake, 14 finished. So we did have two scratches. Uh, not, not a really big group to, to see scratch, which is great. Um, Emily Robinson, unsurprisingly won again. This is her second time. She's a back-to-back champion. She led the race, uh, the entire way and she finished 15 minutes ahead of the second place team, which was Morgan Martins. He is the 2021 junior Iditarod champion, and he was running dogs out of Ryan Reddington's kennel. Morgan is an out-of-state junior musher, and instead of trying to figure out how to truck dogs uh, through Canada, which I believe is what he did in uh, in 2021 or 2022, I, I know he's brought his own dogs up before, um, but he, he runs uh, Ryan's dogs when he's up here. Uh, Ellen Reddington, speaking of the Reddingtons, was third place. Uh, Jace Cogdill was fourth, and Isaac Reddington was fifth. Now, those are the top five placements are, quote-unquote, in the money, though, as Barb explained, um, no, none of the mushers are running for prize money. They do get scholarships, and each finisher does get a scholarship. Um, anybody below fifth place gets a $500 scholarship. For first place, it was $6,000. Second is $4,000. Or third was uh, $2,500. Fourth is $2,000. And fifth place gets $1,500 in scholarships. And of course, Emily also won that fabulous uh, dog sled, brand new dog sled. It's gorgeous. I think the sled bag was blue this year. Um, for the rest of the placements, I'm not Sure, I'm going to read all of them, but, um, you know, we had we had just a, a great turnout, very strong finishes, and they all finished within several minutes of each other. There, there wasn't, like, huge gaps between. Um, I think the, the only real gap was third place. She kind of came in about an hour, hour and a half after second place, and she there was an hour between her and fourth place. So really strong group of junior mushers. This is the future of the sport, and it's really exciting. If you go on to junioriditarod.org, you can read all of their bios. And um, a lot of them do say that they plan to stick it out with dog mushing, even after finishing high school and going on to, to, to different things. They, they still want to have their own kennels and, and that sort of thing, which is always good to hear, especially when we've been talking about all season, how you know, it feels like these rosters are dwindling. 
Yeah. And, and before I talk about Emily and her finish, just a quick note on that scholarship. You had mentioned that the first place was 6,000, I believe, and second place was 4,000. If if one of those guys or gals uses that for the University of Alaska Anchorage, that would definitely pay for a full semester of tuition for uh, for for one of those uh, winners. And I, I think that's pretty impressive. I mean, my goodness, uh, if you're uh, able to go to a college for a semester for free without worrying about financial aid or help from your parents or a job or whatever, that's a game changer, isn't it? It, it definitely is. And, you know, a lot of these mushers don't live in the Anchorage Bowl. So that uh, that's a huge help, and and I'm sure you know they could use it at UAS too. And there are, there are several mushers that are up in that area, there in Fairbanks. Um, but you know I'm thinking like Bristol Huffman who lives in Kotzebue, and she does plan on keeping her kennel after high school, but she also wants to go to college. And so scholarships like this, uh, you know, they go a long way. And like Barb said in her interview uh, a couple weeks ago. It really does. These kids have, they go on to make a difference in their communities uh, after school. And, and so it's, it's really exciting to see. I think this is a fantastic program, really exciting to see it thrive. And I hope that it continues to thrive. And I'm sure as long as Barb Reddington has air in her lungs, it will continue to thrive. She's so passionate about it, as are all of their board members that I can't, I can't see us losing Junior Iditarod anytime soon. Yeah, and she did make a very telling comment right there at the end of the show on one of your questions. So I urge you mm-hmm. guys to take a listen. And, and lastly, with regarding that scholarship, I believe they can also use it not only at out-of-state schools, because we had several out-of-state mushers. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they won one of the scholarships or not, but they can also use it at uh, at the trade schools, at least here in, mm-hmm. in South Central, yep. like Charter College and, you know, like a welding school or a truck driving school or something like that, if mm-hmm. they're not uh, inclined to go on to uh, the, the university type college for sure. So let's talk a little bit about mm-hmm. Emily Robinson on, I guess it was <laughs> Thursday of last week, we released the episode uh, where I interviewed her and she was talking on that episode about it was a very strong field that, uh, and uh, she was definitely worried about her competition. And uh, she she was confident, but not overly so. But man, back to back, that's pretty impressive, isn't it? It is. And, you know, I just ran out of time. I wanted to see when the last back to back champion is. And I don't have that answer for tonight, but I'll definitely continue researching that. Um, just really exciting. It's always fun, no matter what the race is. A lot of mushing fans love to see when the ladies take the prize. And Emily, I think we're going to see her for quite a while. Her future is bright. She's a very savvy dog musher. She has a really good head on her shoulders. Everything I've read from the different officials in these races, the veterinarians, they're all impressed with her dog care her level of sportsmanship, her level of competitive drive. So it's, it's really exciting to see her parents did a fantastic job getting her here. Um, I, I'm, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. I, I've loved following her, especially this season. She's really making a name for herself, and it's, 
it's fun. It's, I'm excited for her. I was not surprised to see her uh, lead the race. Um, you know, she she had a more exciting finish last year because it was by just a few seconds. Um, this one was, she had a 15-minute lead at the end, but Morgan kept it close for most of the race. So very, very exciting to see her push and, and give herself that little bit of a gap. And I urge you guys to go check out that episode episode over on our feed on Mushing Radio and also check out her brother, Stanley. That's a really cool episode. We interviewed him and he talks about running a trap line with his dogs and growing up mushing and the mushing family and all that. And I just spoke to their dad today, Walter, and he is going to be our first interview after our Iditarod coverage. So we're going to Keep it in the family, if you will, with uh, with these interviews, and we're going to get all three of them together. And I think that's pretty cool when we do that because we hear all the different perspectives, and I don't ask them the same questions when I interview multiple people in the family because you don't want to hear the, the same answer to the same question. So definitely check those out. But you talked about sportsmanship with Emily, but there was a sportsmanship award, and that has an interesting story with it as well, doesn't it? Sure. And our listeners, you know, I know that they really adore this musher. She's from the lower 48. It's Tara Crossman. She, of course, if you followed our coverage of the Junior Willow, um, she was the one who was concerned uh, about some of her dogs in her team. And she thought about scratching and she was convinced to just take a separate kind of trail where they could monitor her, officials could monitor her and coach her into the finish, um, which she did. She did really well. That gave her, I think, the confidence boost to come into the junior Iditarod. She ended up being awarded the Sportsmanship Award, which is voted on by her fellow mushers. Uh, And there were a few things that were listed when she was given the award as why she was. She always had a very upbeat, encouraging, positive attitude out on the trail, with all of her fellow mushers. She also um, had to deal with, I believe it was in the Yentna checkpoint, which is the halfway point where they stopped do their mandatory rest. Um, she was parked behind a team that was supposed to leave after she left. And there was, there was, you know, that's always a very difficult logistic thing. It was a race official's um, mistake in where they placed her in the dog yard, and she took it in stride. She didn't throw a fit. She didn't have any um, negative reaction to that. She was just like, okay, we'll just, we'll just work this out. And um, so they did, you know, they fixed that in the timing sheet. I'm looking at it right now. It says 15 minutes were subtracted due to a Yentna um, parking mistake by a race judge, Um, but she was also awarded sportsmanship. They gave a story about how she came across a team as she was coming into the finish. She came across a team that had stalled. Not sure exactly as to what caused the stall, whether they were lost or, you know, the dogs were just done or whatever, but instead of continuing on after checking to make sure everything was okay, she chose to stay with that team until they were ready to go, and then she led them to the finish line. 
um, giving them encouragement, you know, making sure that they stayed pace with her. Um, that's, that's what this sport is about. You know, at the end of the day, yes, it's a race and they, they all want to finish in place well, and that should be encouraged. But something that I think is unique to mushing is that while it is an individual sport, they still, there's a camaraderie and the sportsmanship between the mushers. If someone's having difficulty, they've always got at least one or two mushers lending a hand to get them to the finish because everybody wants to see those teams finish. It's not like a, oh, I hope you fall off the cliff, you know, or go into the sea ice. You know, they, they really do want to see those teams finish, and, and Tara embodied that um, in this race. Is she the uh, young lady from Maine? She is. So or New Hampshire. New Hampshire. She's from the East Coast. Yep. And, and does she travel up with her dogs or does she use somebody else's? Do you know? I believe they are her dogs. Um, and you are correct that she is from Maine. I should never second guess. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I believe she did bring her dogs up for this. It doesn't say that she's running somebody else's dogs in her bio. Wow, that, that's impressive in of itself to, to do that whole trek, because that's about as far as you could possibly get in the United States from, from Alaska is uh, there in Maine. And uh, boy, that, that, that's something else for a teenager, and, and I assume her parents came up as well to, to take part in that. So let's jump into the big story of Junior Iditarod. I caught this um, in the middle of doing a bunch of other stuff, so I didn't get to read through a lot of the comments or the feeds or whatever, but it it, it was something, wasn't it? It was. You know, it's, it's a very scary thing to read an official statement saying that a musher, any musher, but certainly a junior musher, um, had to scratch due to a medical emergency. Um, never a never a good thing to read. It's one thing to read, you know, they scratch due to the best interest of their team, but when they, they full-on say it was a medical emergency, that's never a good thing. Um, I will say that Lacey, uh, I hope I don't butcher her name too, poor, too badly, Lacey Cool, uh, was running a really strong race up until uh, that last leg into the finish. She got about two miles out and had to turn back. She reported after um, after everything was over and she's been, you know, she's gone through a battery of tests. She is right now fine, but they are doing more tests to find out what the, what the underlying issue is. But she reported being dizzy. And then she believes that she passed out because she remembers being in one spot and then she woke up in a completely different spot. She was still very dizzy, still feeling kind of out of it. So she made the decision to ask her lead dogs to turn the team completely around and head back to the checkpoint. The story that was given at the, um, the finisher's banquet even said that she told the lead dogs to find her a checkpoint. And that they did. Um, they're, she's running dogs out of Nicholas Petit's team. She's a very new to mushing junior musher. Um, she was hooked last summer after doing a dry land run at Nick Petit's kennel. She's normally a uh, junior 
car racer. And she, uh, she just, the, the race that she was doing up here in Alaska got canceled due to weather. So she took a, a dog mushing tour and got hooked. Nick said, hey, if you're interested, you can come run Junior Iditarod. I'll give you a team. So she came up here, even though she said that she's never seen temperatures below 30 degrees <laughs> Fahrenheit. And um, she was doing really, really well for a rookie, a, a true rookie musher. Um, but she, you know, that dizzy spell, she said she'd been having dizzy spells leading up to the race, um, but never as big as what this was. Um, they're not sure what it is. She had her A1C checked. Um, she's not pre-diabetic is what they said on their official statement. Um, she does race for diabetes awareness. So I'm sure that was one of the first things that they had checked. So very, very glad that Lacey um, is doing well. Um, and for their, their actions, her lead dog, Shuby, uh, was awarded the Blue Harness, which is the Junior Iditarod's version of the Iditarod's Golden Harness. Um, so congratulations to Shuby and a job well done. It, lead dogs are so important in those situations. Yeah, there, there's uh, some other things I would like to mention, and you probably can clarify, because I, like I said, I didn't dive too sure. deep. But my first question or comment is she was running for that diabetes awareness. Is it my understanding mm -hmm. it, was, it was in honor of her brother or something like that? Did he pass away or he has diabetes or something like that? That I'm not really totally sure on I do know that she that her family started a foundation of, for diabetes awareness um, so there there's definitely a familial connection to it um, I haven't really done a deep dive into her her racing or her bio um, and I did check her uh, junior Iditarod bio and it doesn't really dive too deep into that either but she uh, she, they made a point to say that she is not pre-diabetic in their statement that they released after she was checked out and, you know, they couldn't find anything overt that, sh that would suggest why she had these dizzy spells. So before I get into the, the race car angle, what was interesting was, as, as you said, that she, she went back to the checkpoint. So she went back to Yetna Station mm -hmm. And it's my understanding that they flew her home on, I assume, something like the Iditarod Air Force, uh, mainly so she could be with her with her uh, uh, participants, her her teammates out there on the trail. She mm -hmm. wasn't, you know, a, a major medical emergency at that point. Meaning, oh my goodness, we got to get her right. out of here and to the hospital. But also, interestingly enough, the race marshal Dakota Schlossler who happens to be one of the co-owners of Sled Dog Systems, the folks that gave the sled out to the winning team, that sled that you said was a uh, fancy uh, sled with a blue sled bag, he had to mush her team back from the checkpoint because Yetna Station, it's a um, off-the-road checkpoint. It's, it's in the middle of nowhere. It's 35 miles, trail miles from Willow, and then a little bit further, I guess, from... From Big Lake, I've never tracked that mileage, but I would imagine it is. So he had to mush that team back, and uh, that's interesting because typically the race marshal, 
They don't do a whole lot except uh, sort of, you know, directing traffic, if you will. So I thought that was definitely a cool part of that story. Do you have any more on that before I jump into the uh, the car racing angle? You know, other than to just point out, and you being the mushing expert as a musher, and me just being an armchair musher, um, it's it's sometimes difficult to get dog a dog team to turn around without having them tangle up, having them get aggressive, for lack of a better term, because they don't really like going back the way they came, especially when they're having such a good time going forward. They're not really backwards thinking animals. They like to go forward. So, um, you know, for a rookie musher that Lacey is, to be able to get them to come G or come ha and then go back the way they just came when they know they can smell the other dogs ahead of them, they know they're supposed to go the other way. That's impressive, not just for the dogs, because you know that they're a well-trained team to do that, but for her to have in that moment of dizziness and being out of it, um, to be able to think clearly enough to give those commands with the authority needed to get them to do that, to trust or at least understand that their musher needed help and they needed to go back where there were people. That's impressive for any team, but certainly a junior musher that just started in the last year. Yeah, that is, that's, that's probably the most impressive part of this story for a couple of reasons. Number one, they were only a couple of minutes or a couple of miles out of the checkpoint. So the dogs were up and raring to go right out of the checkpoint. It takes them, you know, several miles to finally settle down because they've been resting for, I think it's a 10 hour layover there. So they mm-hmm. were, they were probably on fire taken out, uh, there mm-hmm. out of the chute. And then secondly, uh, her knowing the command to use, you know, cause it's not just a G or a haw command. It, it is a, a haw over a come haw or come G, whichever command that they use. So knowing that command in that situation and in her condition, whatever condition that was, whether being dizzy or, or had fainted and, and woken back up or, or whatever the story was, that's very impressive in and of itself. And then thirdly to that, uh, in all of my years of mushing since 1994, I think I've only done that uh, that procedure once in all of that time where I've turned them directly around like that, especially on a river like uh, the Yetna River out there. That is very impressive. I think I've only had one leader that would do that in all of that time, and that was way early in my career that could do that. I've had dogs that, you know, would pull over one way or the other, but stop and turn around on a dime like that and head back the other way. That's that's very impressive. But we are ne- dealing with Nick Petit's team, and and uh, we know the, the relationship he has with his dogs. So I would bet that uh, he does that uh, training with his dogs, uh, you know, on a regular basis. That's why they were so um, uh, adept to, to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I think I've only actually seen that command done in a training type situation. Um, they used to do that command to show off that command uh, at Dallas's Wild Ride Sled Dog Rodeo. So I saw that in that setting um, when we have issues with dogs going the wrong way 
in the ceremonial start of Iditarod, you basically see the the musher put the snow hook down and he goes and grabs the the lead dog line and and puts them back on the trail. <laughs> you don't you don't see them tell them to to come G or come har or over G or over ha. So uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting interesting concept and and again, I'm just I'm just impressed with however this came about whether it's just their their usual training or the dogs just picked up on something about Lacey needing um, them to do their job and do it well it, it's impressive that they've they've had that bond with her so quickly and speaking of the wild ride just a quick plug <laughs> our, our next after show on our patreon exclusive podcast that we are calling the gang line according to our co-host Michelle, we are going to dive deep into Tony's time at the Wild Ride. Uh, what's it called again? I don't want to butcher the name. What's the, what's the full name <laughs> of the of the restaurant? Whatever oh it was. Oh my god! Uh, it was the Wild Ride Sled Dog Rodeo. It was a show that um, originally it was just a, a little tour show about twenty five minutes long, 25, 40 minutes depending on if you did the kennel tour. Um, and then they, they turned it into a dinner show. So it was, it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. And it's the reason probably why I'm as obsessive as I am. So subscribe to us over on Patreon for as little as I believe $5 a month. You will get access to our exclusive after show, the gang line. I'm not sure when we're, we're going to be able to record that, if it's going to be during I did a rod or <laughs> after I did a rod or whatever, but it will be our next after show. So let's jump right back into talking about uh, the story here. I just have one other thing I would like to mention. You had mentioned that uh, this young lady uh, met Nick through car racing, and you had said that their family is involved with um, uh, car racing, NASCAR type car racing. I would assume that she was up here racing at the Alaska Raceway Park, and it's my understanding that Nick got involved with car racing. I guess it was just this last year when Lance Mackey was unable to do it anymore. And he hooked up with Lance and the mushing mortician, Scott Jansen, and they got together. And I think he raced in, in Lance's car, a couple of races or something like that. Yep. Am I remembering yep. all that? And I assume that's where they met uh, this family. Is that right? Um, you are correct in that Nick's been Nick decided he needed to follow in Lance's footsteps and and race cars on the off season, um, and I do believe he did get to race in Lance's car at least once this summer. I want to say it was around uh, the time that Lance went into the hospital for the final time. Um, it was one of Lance's goals to actually go out and and either race or at least be a part of that. And I never did find out if Lance actually got to go to that final race um, and cheer anyone on. But uh, yeah, I, you know, I think it's a good assumption that that's where Lacey crossed paths. Otherwise it was just, you know, they were looking for something to do and they were in the area. So they, they chose team Pettit's uh, Alaska dog stead tours that he has uh, up there in uh, Big Lake, I believe it is. So uh, it's, it's, I'm a little hazy on, on how they met up other than just what the story is that, you know, she took a tour and, and got hooked. 
And is her, is she involved with racing or is her family, her mom or dad, uh, the car racer? Do you know? My understanding is she is a junior car racer. So she, uh, she does, she does some of the racing. I, I'm not sure if it's a family thing or if she's the, just the daredevil of the family, but, uh, she, she is definitely active in that sport. Well, that's impressive. I don't think we've ever talked about a junior musher that was also <laughs> a, a NASCAR type. Uh, you know, NASCAR is what everybody knows, but it's stock car racing, and there's all sorts mm -hmm. of different classes with that. And I'm, and I'm not sure which which class they're in, so we'll just say NASCAR-like uh, car racing. That's pretty <laughs> impressive for a teenager that is out there doing that. You know, most most teenagers, if they're not mushing, of course, they are you know, playing other sports, soccer or football or baseball or whatever, or potentially into horses or maybe even into rodeo or something like that. But I don't think we've ever talked about a junior musher that was also a race car driver. Yeah, you know, I, I don't think it's it's the norm for sure. I, I think it's uh, completely uh, natural, though. I mean, Nick she's running Nick's dogs. Nick likes speed. So, and you've got car racing, which is also speed. Uh, I also think it's impressive that she said in her bio for the junior Iditarod that even though she is very new to the sport, she does plan on continuing mushing after high school. So it sounds like, like many mushers that she has been bitten by the bug and it's not letting go. So congratulations to all the junior I did a Rob mushers uh, and uh, good luck in whatever endeavor that has. Like you said, several of them are going to continue on in the sport. It's, it's very impressive that uh, there were three teams in the Reddington Kennel in this uh, in this field. That's uh, that's mm -hmm. really saying something about, you know, just the breadth of their uh, field of dogs there and be able to, to field three three teams is, is, is pretty impressive as well. So before we go, Tony, we are getting ready to kick off our annual Iditarod coverage. And I just dropped an episode this morning, uh, and I'm going to promote it a little bit tomorrow, about our kickoff show. And I promoted it over on the DogWorks radio feed. And it was really just, hey, guys, I know that you are Iditarod uh, fans, and you've been listening to this uh, mushing show on DogWorks radio for all these years. This is how you can find us now. So it's more of a redirect or, uh, you know, this is where we're at now so you don't lose track of us type show. But we're kicking that off this week. Do you have anything special planned or any ideas of what you want to talk about? And I know we didn't talk about this before show. Any ideas <laughs> on on, uh, on a direction you have uh, that may be different than, from the past? Oh goodness, I don't have any ideas right now. You've you've uh, thrown me for a loop here. Uh, I'm just looking forward to talking in a little more in depth. You know, with a smaller roster, I think we've got more time to just basically pay attention to everybody. Nobody's really going to be able to get lost in this field, as there's only 33 teams. Um, but I guess we should also mention that you know the Emily is not done yet with her mushing this year. Uh, she gets to be the first one out of the shoot at the ceremonial start of Iditarod. And she was also awarded with uh, tickets to the finishers banquet and two airline tickets up to Nome for her and a parent to, uh, to attend that finishers banquet there in Nome. So 
that was given to the 1993 members of Joe Reddington Sr.'s Iditarod Challenge Connect to Gnome Expedition. Wow. So, um, you know, just to kind of tie it all in here, we've, we've still got one more chance to cheer on the junior champion. She will be running, of course, not only with the bib that says Junior Iditarod Champion, but she also is the sled that carries the honorary musher. And last I heard, I haven't seen anything that's suggesting uh, that has changed. It's going to be Lance's two youngest children that should be in the sled with her, um, if that's still the plan. But, of course, Lance will be with her in spirit, if nothing else. Um, so it's, it's going to be a very emotional moment, I think, for everyone involved. And I'm sure she uh, will take that honor with great care um, as she goes through Anchorage on Saturday. Uh, yeah, you're right. I forgot all about that, that the champion gets to do that uh, uh, first team out. I remember, I remember that when uh, my daughter, Nicole, ran that. They talked about that at the banquet. That's a cool thing to do for for the junior Iditarods, because it really does showcase the champion at that point is, you know, they're front and center stage and they're, you know, they're all eyes are on them. And I think that that's really cool. And they get to run with the big boys, if you will, in at least in the ceremonial start. So I think that's pretty cool as well. So at the beginning of the show, we talked about it being Iditarod week up here in Alaska. So on Thursday night is when they do the, the mushers banquet. That's where they, uh, draw the uh, the starting order for for the teams, and it's sort of a meet and greet and a fancy dinner and all of that. And then Friday, there's typically meetings and things for some of the mushers, and also that's usually when they get together with their sponsors and their family and their friends, and they, you know, do their last um, little bit of hanging out, if you will, with those types of folks. And then on Saturday is the ceremonial start, and they'll meet up with their Iditarider if they have not already, and that that whole process will take place. And then that will be over, I don't know, what is it, about 1 o'clock or so, and then uh, they'll they'll head back to, to their respective kennels or, or spots if they're from out of town, and they'll do their last-minute preparations and get all that ready to go because... The real show happens on Sunday at the restart up here in Willow. And it's my understanding that you are coming up on Thursday and you will be here Thursday through Sunday. And uh, uh, you're, you're at least a part of, um, of the ceremonial because of the volunteer yeah. deal. But you're going to be up here doing photos and all that for the restart. Is that right? You know, uh, hopefully, as long as the weather cooperates, as they just announced uh, earlier this evening on the news, that now the blizzard uh, advisory goes through Thursday. Um, <laughs> we're hopefully going to be up there Thursday afternoon, evening. Um, Friday is normally my day to, to get my bearings and figure out what we're, how we're going to set up for Saturday. And then Sunday, I, you know, I'm just going to hopefully pal around and uh, get some behind-the-scenes photos, not for anything official, but um, I have been asked by a couple of mushers to, to grab pictures for, for their social media team to post. And uh, then we have made the decision to drive straight home from the restart, which is about a five-hour drive, uh, closer to six, with Iditarod traffic. Um, from 
uh, Willow to Anchorage at least. So, and uh, it's going to be a long day on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, it, I, I've sat in that traffic and only lived like three miles away. I made the the mistake <laughs> of I think my first year ever up for the restart, I drove myself down and ah, this is no problem. I'm only a couple of miles out. And it took me like an hour to get uh, just a couple of miles yep. down the road because I went after everybody was done. So you had mentioned that uh, <laughs> you, you hope to make it. I know that you have been volunteering for a long time, most of your life, if you will. Have you ever missed it because of weather or something like that? Not because of weather. Um, we've missed it for, you know, uh, when I, when we, my family moved down here when I was a kid, I missed quite a few starts. Um, my grandparents didn't, but they lived up in Anchorage, but, uh, we didn't always make it up to the start when I was a kid because of school, um, and work and, and other commitments. But, um, no, I don't think I, I think the only ceremony, well, the only start that I've missed as an adult, uh, would be the COVID start because they asked nobody to come. <laughs> and I understand you have a pretty important job uh, at, at your area. What would happen if you uh, didn't make it, whether it's for weather or you guys broke down or whatever? Who, who, uh, who can run the show if Tony's not there? That's a good question, because normally uh, I would have a couple of people to fall back on, and one uh, decided to have a kid uh, on Iditarod weekend uh, last year. So he's out. And then the other one retired because he'd been helping with my grandparents since before I was born. So uh, he felt the 50th was the great way to kind of close that out for him. So it would basically be me calling and freaking out both Derek Petty and Carl Heidelberg to uh, Heidelberg to uh, say, hey, guess what? You have nobody running the show there at the Alaska Native Medical Center. So have fun. Um, but no, we've, we, I've got a good team. I've got good people. Um, they, you know, we, we'd be able to make it work. It just, they just wouldn't get donuts from Golden Donuts. So that's the only difference. And, and we're going to definitely talk about your role, probably on our kickoff show. <laughs> uh, if not on the kickoff show, we'll talk about it on Friday's show as you prepare and sort of the life of a Iditarod volunteer. I know we mentioned that a bit last year, but I would definitely have some questions because Iditarod and every other dog sled race that I have ever been a part of is highly dependent on volunteers. And if they don't have volunteers, whether it's a four mile sprint race or a thousand mile long distance race like I did a rod. If those, I, uh, those volunteers are not there, it typically does not go well uh, for the race. So we're going to be interested to hear your thoughts on that. Tony, before we close anything else about junior, I did a rod, uh, the upcoming, I did a rod or anything else before we go. I just want to say again, just how proud I am of all of the mushers, all six, of them the two scratches made I'm sure with the best interest of their team and themselves and then of course just all of the finishers they've done they've already accomplished more not only in the sport but in their teenage lives than I have in my entire life so um, just a huge kudos to them and to the organize, organization of the junior Iditarod uh, the board of directors the race officials 
everybody such a well-run race every year and um, just very, very excited that it went off so well and they were able to run it on the trails that they wanted to and not have to truck somewhere else like last year. There you have it, guys. Make sure you hit that subscribe button wherever you are listening to this podcast right now. Tell your family and friends where they can find us. Uh, Even if they don't know anything about the Iditarod or dog mushing, they may find our show interesting because we're about ready to kick off starting on Thursday night. uh, Dang near two weeks plus of coverage. And it's going to be a show like you've never heard before and uh we get a lot of good content out during those two weeks so we're looking forward to this it is our busiest time of the year for sure and uh we're looking forward to to uh serving our listeners with that tony i will talk to you in a couple of days and with that we'll see you guys next time goodbye from dog works radio this is mushing radio We hope you enjoyed this episode, and we invite you to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll find a link on the episode notes. You can tap or swipe on the episode cover art, and you'll see some offers from our sponsors. You can support our show by supporting them. If you like what you have heard, we would love it if you could give us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe, too. Your host is Robert Forto. Our producers are Michelle Forto, Alex Stein, and Tony Ryder. Our executive producer is Robert Forto. Created for DogWorks Radio and First Paw Media.